no religion said that you can't have happiness in life or fun in life or enjoy life every spiritual text very categorically says is go have fun go do everything that you want to do in a righteous way and whenever you're doing that make sure you don't forget god that's all every religion says Namaskaram Pallavi ji it is my great honor and great pleasure to have you as my guest on Chat with Chitra season 2 how are you today i'm very good uh, first of all chitra ji thank you so much for having me i am truly truly inspired by all that you do thank you so much thank you so much pallavi ji you are a post doctoral fellow from harvard school of public health and you have so many other numerous accomplishments several other feathers on your cap both academic and otherwise you are also part of associated with the sri satyasai institute which is in india from where you graduated that you did your higher education so you had this wonderful opportunity to have a kind of spiritual involvement right from a younger age and i'm very curious to know how exactly this happened what were your younger days like um, were you part of uh, were your parents quite uh, spiritual how did this all happen i think it's a very beautiful question and if i think about it also it's a long answer but in the interest of the format that we have chosen today the short answer is i delved myself into so called spirituality at the age when i was 6 years old uh, it was very interesting i i got to know i chanced upon she said this i save organizations and as you mentioned i have been an alumna of the organization i got to study there of course after many many years that was in the coming that i didn't have any idea then but as a child uh, my parents were very culturally rooted in tradition in culture in religion as as india is a very culturally diverse country not many people realize that we have you know 36000 gods and you can pick any one and go along with it but i think the selling point as i would like to say is why do we need god was a question in my head always wondering whatever we do you know we say thank god whatever we seek we pray to god for anything tiny from passing an exam to you know getting a job to whatever so i, I observed this at a very early age that why is it that we need to depend on something higher that is existing around us and i think that got me into the spiritual world or gave me a peak or an interest into it fantastic so very inspiring you know you said it rightly different kinds of religion that we all follow we talk about uh, you know we worship different gods in different uh, forms you know but i've always wondered if you take in today's times it is very important for us for a child who is not rooted into spirituality who doesn't believe in this is there one god is there multiple god is there no god at all how would you make this child how would you imbibe Uh, this spiritual aspect in this child per se so i think chitra ji the, the idea of any religion is practicing spirituality it's not being dogmented into a very narrow minded or a tightly compartmentalized ideology uh, and that is one of the risks that every religion runs or every culture or civilization runs into from time to time but if you see from a very broad perspective the unity and diversity is the ultimate goal 
of any religion. It, the proponents have mentioned that you ultimately have to realize that you and God are one. That is the highest goal, whether you take the prophet or whether you take the Judaistic uh, uh, type of worship or Buddhism or Hinduism or the Islamic Dharma, every religion or Christianity for that matter, mentions that the universal concept of we belong to him and he belongs to us, ultimately we're all one is the idea. So that is the universal approach. But for a small child who does not believe in anything, right, to teach him spirituality is a Herculean task because he doesn't see any differences. He's actually at the last step. As a child, they say children are equal to God, right? So they have a very pure heart. They don't see any differences. They don't see why it's a big deal that our elders are losing their temper or losing their demeanor sometimes. But they're so cool. They're so happy-go-lucky demeanor. I think that's the goal. But as we have various experiences, it jades us or it shapes us. And we have an ideology that we are stuck into. And that's when we begin the real search of happiness that leads to God. But yeah. coming back to the question that you had mentioned is, for a child, if he's believing in himself, it's equivalent to believing in God. And there is every religion says that. And so that is the highest spiritual discipline. If you see any kind of worship or any kind of spiritual austerities people take up, they need to have confidence that they can do this. They have to be convinced. If they don't have faith in themselves, they cannot have faith in anything. So yeah. I think for children, it's very simplistic. Have faith in yourself. It's equivalent to having faith in God. So very well put. But I'm curious to know from a parent's perspective, particularly from an Indian background, you know, they want to instill the same kind of spirituality in their children also. Uh, many young people these days find spiritualism as a, you know, kind of, I won't call it taboo, but they find it extremely challenging and they feel that it is a very difficult path to follow. Parents who wish to bring in their child into, rooted into spirituality are facing the challenge, be it in India or, you know, uh, Indians living, uh, living abroad. I'm talking about uh, as an Indian, but I'm sure that there will be examples from other religion also who would still be facing the same situation. I hope I have uh, put across my point in, in a good way that, that makes sense to you, Pallaviji. Absolutely. So there, there are multiple parts to this answer. I believe that in the limited you know, lifespan that I have been existing on this planet Earth is that my observations have been um, very simplistic and the solutions are also very simplistic. To start off with, it's generation to generation of what you are offering to the next generation. So I, I am a sum and substance of what I have observed from my parents. And kids, whether they're children from the age of zero, you know, 0 0.1 day, to all the way up to till they, let's say, they go to college, they leave the doorstep. They are very acute observers. They pick up on subtle cues. Many parents believe that the more they give instructions, the more they tell them what to do, that's when they do. I think that's the most incorrect understanding that every parent tends to slip into that pit so to speak. But children watch what your parents are doing, what your grandparents are doing, what their society is doing around them. That is number one. So as parents, if you have a value system and 
we have to keep in mind that you can align with any value system at this point. You can have individual values as they like to think is something that the parents have developed based upon the experiences that they have gone through in their college life or adulthood, number one. Second, you can also align to social values. If you don't have any, you get inspired by seeing a celebrity or you get inspired by seeing a person who does charity or a social hero, right? You get inspired, social values. Mm -hmm. The third, you can have what are known as the national values. What does your country stand for where you live? If you are a patriot, what do you stand for? for your country, you know, they, these are common things that are there in the society, you cannot miss. But since 70% of the lifestyle is at home and 30% of the time the child is stepping out, he's getting, he or she is getting the exposure of national values or social values for 30% of his lifetime, whilst 70% during his upbringing. Of course, the role reverses when they step into the world, take up a job and become the future generation of future parents that it is 70% that you are in an office, you're working out of the house. 30% is what you're imbibing and imparting to your children in the future. So number one is the foundation. It's very important to understand that there are ramifications of your personal integrity and value systems on the child when it steps out as a social embodiment. That is my number one aspect for this issue. So we have to set a role model. In a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is you have to be a role model. You cannot be having a drink and tell your 18-year-old child that drinking is bad for health. You cannot having a smoke behind the house and your child chances upon and you tell the child smoking is bad. The child is observing. He's not living in an all-exclusive universe. It's an all-inclusive universe. The second aspect to finding a solution to this uh, question is that happiness. I think we all want to be happy at the end of the day, right? We don't need anything in our lives. Even if we don't have food and water, we'll be okay. But without happiness, we won't be able to survive because we have food and water all the time. But are we happy eating the same food 24-7? We want variety there. So there's a $1 billion food and hospitality industry. For what? To make us happy. If you really think about it, the root cause, right? So happiness is the second part of the solution. We are looking for happiness outside. The moment the mother and father are able to impress upon the child from childhood that you are the source of happiness. There is nothing outside of you. What is now happening is there is intrinsic dependence. If I don't have a TV, I'm miserable. If I don't have cable, I mean, beyond miserable. If I don't have electricity and TV and cable, then it's a World War IV at this stage, right? So what I'm trying to say is you're depending on a media outlet. You're, you're depending on Instagram or Facebook to validate your presence, your attire, or what you're trying to do, your social phase of life. You're also depending upon your friends for advice and you are following some of their advices and you think friends are cooler than parents, right? Absolutely. And yes, and you're also depending upon alcohol, substance abuse as we call it, anything. You are addicted to something or the other, right? The way I like to put it in a very lighter way is you have good addictions and you have bad addictions. And if parents are able to bring the children along with them on the side of good addictions, 
then you cannot uproot, you know, something as a small child that has been rooted as a sapling. It will only grow as a big tree and take roots. Mm -hmm. And the seeds that come off of it will go to the next generation. Sure. So like you and I, like you were exactly saying, your grandparents impressed upon you upon so many stories. My grandparents also impressed upon me upon so many stories. And I think um, the first question that you had asked is, how do you get into this? They did not tell me stories about, you know, X, Y, Z that's happening around in the world or any gossip matter or any, you know, other things. But they told me of the story of Prahlada. And to me, it was absolutely fabulous. So as a six-year-old listening to the story of what an eight-year-old did, I thought I could be invincible at this stage because if he's able to accomplish, I mean, for those of you who do not know much about Prahlada, uh, the abridged version that I like to give to my friends when I like to quote is, there is a guy who does not like Narayana, Lord Vishnu, and there is a son that this guy has who does not like anti-Narayana government. And it just falls apart and he decides that no matter what my father says, I'm going to like Narayana, but he's never rude to his parents. He's never rude to his mother or father. When the mother says, you know, why do you want to listen to your dad and just pray to Narayana like your father wants? He said, it's okay, my dad will come around, but I'm not going to go against him with a smile. Yeah. Those days are gone. So when I used to listen to these things, I thought, oh, this guy is so cool. He just got whatever he wanted without even being rude to anybody. So spirituality must be something interesting that I do not know about, right? So the second aspect to that is that we are looking for an external validation. We are addicted to something on the outside. If in today's age, let's say you forget your charger and your phone is dead by 10 a.m., your world is going to collapse. Yeah. It's very difficult to live. We have, we have progressed so much into the external yeah. than trying to understand that ultimately it is a state of mind. I could be in a solitary confinement and still be happy thinking about what I want to do in life. Or I cannot be, I could be with so many people in a room and still be miserable and unhappy that this person didn't look at me, this person didn't compliment me, this person didn't take an effort to come and talk to me. It's all good. Focus is on us, correct, but the external, not the internal. And the third problem, the major problem to the third thing is we don't have the patience any longer as a generation the concept of patience is gone. We have a lot of time though, but we don't know how to use it for a good purpose. Yeah. So I think ultimately it boils down to these three. One, you have to be a role model. Two, you have to teach kids not to depend on something outside of you to be successful or happy in life. Three, we have to keep in mind, as I said, that the focus has to be internal and not external. So beautifully put. Should we really make our child be religious? Do I make sense, uh, Pallavi? It's an excellent Is religion question. good for, sorry? It's an excellent question. Okay. So at this point, I want to do, do make a note to the listeners that, uh, you know, we're not trying to be promoting any religion or spirituality here. This is a very simple, very basic uh, conversation. And for listeners who are not into spirituality should know the differences between three words before I get on to this. One, what is religion? Two, what is spirituality? Three, what is culture? All right. And four, what is tradition? So religion. Religion is a compendium of a civilization 
that picked up upon a saint or a sage or a higher authority. And it has rules and regulations on how to live, how to pray, how to party, you'll be surprised, how to enjoy, how to do science, how to do mathematics, how to do everything. And one such big, big religion is Hinduism, right? Because we both are from here, I'm just saying for the sake of it. Next, what is spirituality? Now, having read these religious texts that we have the holy books in every religion, we know what is what we should do and what how to do it. We know these two things. And translating that into action is spirituality. So spirituality is not belonging to a cult. That is a very wrong and incorrect understanding, I think, that this generation has. And so they are not cool yeah. being religious or spiritual, as you said. So spirituality, as I say, is defined as a way of life. It's very simple. And you can have different ways of life, and that's your spirituality. Spirituality. That's, that's how I see it. The third thing is, what is culture? Culture is not what every generation is doing blindly like a donkey. Culture is your spirituality, your spirituality in discipline, in limits, is culture. That comes from generation to generation to generation. As you see, October 1st is coming up. It's going, it's going to happen. I heard on the radio yesterday, and I, I was excited for a person who doesn't drink. But the point that I'm trying to make is October 1st is back after COVID. It's very cultural, right? Very cultural. If the whole country stops October 1st, they will lose the cultural connection altogether. So that's what I'm trying to say. You have fun, but in limits in certain regulations and stipulations. That is your culture. Tradition. Tradition is something that you want every child as a parent to understand is a part of your culture, spirituality, and religion. So a very simple example of tradition is you have to clean your shoes every time you go to school. That's a school tradition, let's say. But tradition in society belongs to a sect. It belongs to a part of the society, right? Islamic people have a certain tradition. They pray multiple times a day. Christians, they go, they do Bible study and they go every Sunday to church, which I love the fact they are so rooted in dedication. Every Sunday, you know, every Christian is sitting in a church. I mean, come on, how cool is You don't need a tracking device for that. You don't need a cell phone to find it out. It's the tradition. So these social norms are very important to know the difference. Now, coming back to your question, should a child be religious? Yes and no. If the child is interested, fair. If the child is not interested, you cannot force upon religion on any child. Should a child be spiritual? A child has to be spiritual. And in a way, every child is spiritual. Not the, the child doesn't realize, but the parents also don't realize because they have a way of life that they have created from their culture and tradition that has aspects you cannot separate. You just cannot separate. And so do, does a child really have to have a spiritual life? Yes. And why I say that is we have three components in our life if we have to be successful, right? If you and I have to record this child, we should be on board with all the technological advances which is pure basic knowledge, common sense, comprehensive knowledge, right? So we should have cognitive components that are able to put this entire piece together. 
very simple, comes with our education, comes with our experience, and comes with the tools that are available to us outside of us. We cannot be same as also sitting in a forest and praying. That is not what we want a child to be, right? We want him to be a part of the society. He should not feel fish out of the water. That is the essence of spirituality or religion, in fact. If you see most of the sages and saints and you read their bio, you will be so surprised, even Sufi saints for that matter. They could teleport to a place, right? They were very good in astronomy. They were great scientists. They were great mathematicians. They were not dark people who didn't know anything and just sat and chanted the name of the Lord. No, they proved that religion leads to scientific basis of understanding of how the universe works and how you are a part of that universe and how you can also work along with the universe. That was the concept of religion. That's how it came about. At least in the Vedic age, that's how it's described. It's very scientific. So you want to have cognitive abilities. So that's the first component. The second component is knowledge and information are two different things, right? I give you an, I give you the, you have the knowledge that fire burned, but if there is a fire nearby, will you keep the information to yourself? No, you're going to alert the fire department and you're going to get it out, right? And this information comes with an action and a reaction. Mm -hmm. So the second is what is known as the emotional component. It makes you think, it makes you discriminate. It makes you do something. Yeah. So there's knowledge information with the cognitive component and the emotional component. And the last component that I like to say is known as the application component. We all, the children grow up, A, B, C, D, cognitive components, emotional components. As soon as they realize and they're learning three-letter words, when they read CAT, they're able to say, Amma, that's a cat. Dad, that's a dog. They're able to. But dad is not looking for validation that you have learned something well. But when they go to a store or they read a billboard, they catch it immediately, right? So they have an application knowledge. So knowledge leads to an application. So if you bring up a child who is completely nerdy, let's say, very geeky, or an average child, doesn't matter whichever abilities between cognitive, emotional, and practical components, this child has to feel useful. This child has to feel successful. This child has to feel that he or she has a worth in this society. It's very important. It's not a population statistics that they have to end up into, right? That's the goal of every parent anyhow. So if you say that, then it comes to a point where you have, we have to realize as parents that this child needs to have that confidence. And let's say the child, all children are very successful, but every child is bound to fail at some point, bound to lose something, or bound to understand that this is not coming up, is in a rut and not able to get out of something that they don't like or feel like being in, right? And that's when they need a support system to help them pull themselves out. And I feel that the correct support system is spirituality. It gives you the ins and outs of how, what is success, how to get success, how to deal with success, how to also deal with failure. All that we are teaching in this day and age is how to be successful, how to make money, how to be friendly, how to do all the good things. But we are not trying to face the ugly side of our lives, which is like day and night. Yeah. If you want day, you have to go through night. And I think that training is lacking. So 
Yes, I feel that it is very important to have a spiritual way of life for every child, no matter in whichever way, in a very, it can be in an ambiguous way or it can be in a very rudimentary religious way, doesn't matter. But you need a support system where the child is by themselves. It doesn't need a father or a mother or a friend or Facebook or Instagram or the TV or the radio or Snapchat or Twitter to make him happy. He should know that I have fallen and I can pick myself up and move on. And such power comes from praying. And so a spiritual life is very much necessary. Absolutely. So beautiful. But what about parents who are non-believers? How do they raise a child and how would, how, what would be the impact on their children? And it's a fantastic question. I've thought about it a lot of times. Having been in the fold of Shri Sai Baba for more than 30 years now, I sometimes in a very lighter way and I think to myself, well, I have. I have a superpower who is my, you know, Captain America sort of a superpower who can do anything for me when I pray, he comes and whatnot, right? I'm, I'm very rooted in that belief and faith. But what if I didn't have him? Do I need to have him ultimately? Well, in realistic terms, you don't need to have, honestly, you don't need to have anyone. Like you have the Hindu Vedantic philosophy Shankaracharya had pro propagated for so many years and it's still successful model is Advaita Darshana, where you don't see a difference between anyone, nor God, nor people. You feel the same. You belong to everyone all belong to you, Advaita Darshana. And I think uh, atheistic people live in Advaita path, very truly, in fact, better than us, because we're all trying to make baby steps towards that path. They're already there. So I sometimes feel very jealous, like you're already there and I'm still struggling so hard. So I'm trying to separate and go to that ideology. So I feel that it is not necessary to have a higher power, not necessary to chant, uh, it's not necessary to do homas, it's not necessary to worship if, if and only if you have evolved to such a mental state where you are a true and ideal example to your children and transformation is evident in your action. The ultimate goal of any religion is transformation. Yeah. Any, that's the reality, right? So if you can impress upon a child without holding on to someone, well, even better, go for it. And that is a goal. You have to transform yourself as a society or as a nation, the amount of crisis that we are facing currently, politically also all over the world. Uh, it's, it bothers everybody. And I'm sure that all around the world, people are not able to sleep, regardless of how we go about our lives currently since the past few months. I have not slept peacefully since all this, uh, confusion started, but I also know that this is happening for a reason. And if we come together and put things together and our abilities together and pray together, I'm sure there is a resolution to this. But we're ho I'm holding on. I'm not. I'm not falling apart. But I can only imagine about the Ukrainians, you know, people and families who are there who have been displaced overnight. Um, it's, it's very tragic, very traumatic, and. We came to the rescue as a society, as you can see, of all the rescue efforts that are happening. People from UK have gone and fought wars and they've lost lives there. So this is what I'm saying, right? There is a transformation there. Any, any distress is causing a change in our behavior. 
rising up to the occasion. And if a family who is an atheist is able to do the same changes mm. without religion, even better. But if that's not happening, mm. then you definitely need to have a support system that you should provide for the children if you are not interested. That is also necessary. Yeah, I always think, what if, you know, people, we can't expect all of, the, all of them, all the people around us to be, to follow the same kind of path that we do. We are all different. We are all unique. But what will be the situation if they are non-believers? And then you've pointed out, you've explained it so well, and um, I can't agree anymore with you. Uh, you've also pointed out, you know, with the current situation, uh, just happening globally with the wars and everything. We, we live in a world where we are engulfed in, uh, in wars, both internally and externally, right? So we all want to, we want to live happily. We want to live in a society which is very uh, compassionate. Uh, people are uh, you know, showing respect to one another, respect the myriad of cultures that we live uh, surrounding us. Um, but yet, you know, I feel, and the two important, I think, fear and, um, you know, distrust um, is still prevalent and they're the worst enemy in our society today. How do you think we can be able to bridge this gap um, with the current situation, um, you know, in order to help all of us to, um, you know, live peacefully and happily and all together in, in a community or in a society. So, see, that's the thing, right? We are chasing that dream our entire life, I feel, from the day we are born uh, till we realize, oh, there's candy, there's ice cream, and then, then move on to bigger goals in life. Um, very beautiful question. And that is this, that is a mystery that we are solving every step. Right? You buy a Toyota, you're not happy. Then you buy a Lexus, you're still not happy. Then you buy a BMW, like, okay, let me buy uh, Mercedes. You know, there's no end to this. But coming back to the point that we, why we are not happy, two, three reasons is one is we are never satisfied and we have a lot of desires. We have a lot of desires, whether we like it or not. Um, so why are we not happy in a household? Many kids these days, you take middle schoolers or high school children or college going children, they will say, uh, you never understand our point of view. You only want us to do what you want to do. You never understand our point of view. That's the common complaint. Desires and unhappiness are the two reasons that you know fear and distress bring about. So in a family, let's I have four people in my family, for example. And if I, as a college kid, say nobody understands my perspective, why can't parents understand what I'm saying? The question I want to ask myself is, do I want four people to be Pallavis in this household? Do I want four Pallavis? I am not happy. Let's face it. We all are very, very grounded when it comes to understanding ourselves inside and not say it out. We ourselves don't like ourselves much of the time. That's the problem here, right? I wouldn't want four Pallavis in my family to deal with, let alone my family. Why should I do that to them? But there is an expectation. And that expectation comes from the fact that why can't my parents think like me? Why can't my parents let me do what I want? And why can't my parents just agree to whatever I have to say? That is the biggest trouble in every household, right? Mm. Why that happens is mainly because you're trying, to, you're trying to impress upon the idea that I am not very sure 
of what's happening in my life, but I think I know what I'm doing is right. This is the biggest problem for college-going kids, at least. They lack experience. They also lack the understanding or the ramifications of their actions in the future. Parents, on the other hand, have gone through their age. They basically have a blueprint to everything that the child is going to say, think, or do. And the children don't realize that. Mm. And I don't blame them for that. That's their, you know, uh, uh, experience. And so be it. And I feel it should be like that because sensitization and awakening, a rude awakening is necessary to change uh, the transformation or character of a person. So that is number one. Number two is fear. What are we afraid of? We never think about these things. We are afraid of something that is unknown. If you put you, yourself in a dark room and you don't know what is around, you're immediately scared that this is pitch dark and I can't see anything. So we are always afraid of the unknown, but we are not also willing to take the support of the known. Your parents, for example, who have gone through the same unknowns can be in a better position to guide you. Yes, 75% of their advice helps. 25%, you have to judge how much of that advice you have to actually take and run with. That much discrimination power God has gifted us and we should use it. In terms of distress, when fear kicks in, distress is all automatically you're unhappy, you're unpleasant, you're uneasy, and you're not at rest anymore. And that's when we start doing all the things that we are not supposed to do. So I feel to answer your question, we have to recognize the diversity around us. Mm -hmm. We have to understand this diversity helps us in shaping our life's journey. This diversity is necessary, in fact. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the sanding, sandpaper that they use uh, to sand the furniture. It's exactly like that. The diversity is like a sandpaper, as I say, that allows us to peek into different perceptions and understand that ultimately you're all working towards the same goal. I know it's very, it sounds very philosophical at this point of view, but in, in, in reality, that is the true story. How much ever we deny, you know, we cannot deny it for long. We come to a point where we have to accept that we are all united in this together and we have to live peacefully together. And that's what the United Nations is trying to do since a couple of weeks, trying to tell everybody we have to work together. We have to put a stop to this. And this cannot be done by one country, for example, right? This has to be a, a, a unit from multiple countries of multiple compromises. Multiple people have to come together. And we are all, I think, working towards the progress. And I'm very sure that we will achieve that, you know, peace one day. But getting peace in life is the highest goal, as, is, as I told you earlier. But you can work towards smaller chunks of peacefulness and then that can lead up to living a peaceful life i think it's the collective responsibility of all the people living in the society um, but to create that awareness one should be knowledgeable one should be mature enough they should have the mature mindset uh, and that perhaps as you said rightly religious and spiritual and cultural influences can certainly uh, be a very important factor uh, which could actually uh, lead to this. Now, one of the very important principles, um, which our religion, or most of the religions, um, you know, teach is about human values. So I want to hear, I'm very curious to hear about your perspective on 
how important is value-based education and uh, how do we imbibe this? Because the, the youth are uh, the torchbearers of tomorrow. They are the people who are going to carry forward whatever tradition, whatever beliefs and customs and traditions that we have been following, whether they, whether they are, um, uh, you know, they are voluntarily or involuntarily, as you say, they might see the parents, they may not necessarily follow, but perhaps later on in their lives, they might be, uh, they might be knowledgeable that yes, this is what their parents used to do. So all these put together, how do you think uh, um, we can imbibe this value-based education in the younger generation? Excellent question. Uh, I think that is the uphill task, right? Even when you go from kindergarten kids, they teach them nursery rhymes. And one of the rhymes, uh, one of the things that they very categorically teach is sharing is caring. I think it just starts at a very elementary education itself. Uh, it's just not given a very sophisticated name, I feel. But uh, the elementary and the primary children, they learn. They learn all these things very well. It's just not termed as an education in human values. Um, but the Sri Satya Institute of High Learning, where I had been, it was a very new window to me also. I, I went there for my master's, for example, and uh, every Thursday morning we had what was known as a spiritual awareness class. And I was very excited because this is something that I have not done in any degree that I have you know, managed to complete in my limited educational career. But uh, every Thursday morning, what we would do is we would pick up multiple, any religion for that matter, and pick out stories, just pure stories. And we would listen to the presenter and we would sit and brainstorm whether how this story is relevant in our life. And so education and human values if, is imparted. Great, there are multiple schools actually that are now uh, inspiring from the Shesatisai Institute model have incorporated value-based education as a matter of fact, uh, which also has been facilitated by the government of India to some extent. But uh, education in human values is not something that you can teach. I feel it's a practical uh, knowledge. It's a practical science. For example, I can you can tell me how to be good. I'm sure every parent does that. How to be right, how to be best, and how to be empathetic, how to be compassionate, how to be kind, how to be caring. These are seven values I feel every family teaches every child, or we all have learned at some level. We don't need a school or a organization to teach us that, to be very objectively speaking here. But what religion does or what education in human values does is it also teaches you an extension of that idea, how to practice it and when to practice it, right? If I see a homeless person, when you walk out of the tube, for example, station, you see a homeless person and you have enough empathy in your heart that you go to the neighboring store, get a subway or you give it, give it to the person and you move along with your life. It's not that somebody has to award you a degree or a medal for this, but you have done something based upon the human values that you have imbibed or learned or heard or read from anywhere. But at the same time, if I am encountered, God forbid, by let's say a thief who at gunpoint, you know, is asking me that to give me or taking me hostage, I cannot be empathetic to this person. 
I have to have the perseverance, I have to have the courage, I have to have the patience to listen to him, be sympathetic to him, but at the same time, keep my sanity and presence of mind and not surrender my empathy to him, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I think there is a very fine line where we are not taught or we are not talked about, more importantly, as you said. Mm -hmm. It's very necessary to give an examples or stories. And I feel that is what is not happening currently. In, in when I was growing up, uh, every summer I would go to my grandma's house. She would take all the cousins on the terrace, make us sit, and then she would mix pickled rice and she would give each one of us in a circle. I'm sure you have gone through the same uh, experience. And she would tell stories. She would tell stories about my grandfather and how he had worked hard to be where he is here. Or she would tell mythological stories about Dhruva, for example, right? Who wanted to sit in father's lap. And he went to penance to do in the middle of the forest as an eight-year-old, standing on one feet, hands up in the air and chanting the Ashtakshari Mantra Om Namo Narayana. Narada visits on the way to test him and he says, Hey, go home, mosquitoes are biting you, animals are wandering around you. What are you doing here? Go sit in the royal palace, you're an eight-year-old child. He said, no, no, I have come here because my mother told me, you go pray to God, it will happen. And so I took off. Narada was impressed. Not forget Narada. When my grandmother was telling me this in 1989, I was impressed sitting on the terrace thinking, huh, mosquitoes are biting me here as I'm listening to the story. I'm not able to control my anxiety to smack at the mosquito. And here was what eight-year-old child standing and doing penance. And then Narada then was so pleased that he gave him the entire compendium of pleasing God, how to do a cheat sheet. He got lucky with his stubbornness, right? Yeah. Uh, why I bring to this point is such stories are education in human values that are happening at family level. Right now, they may not be necessary. Did I think of the story every day after I left my grandmother's house? Definitely not. But every time I encountered a difficulty, every time I thought, man, I can't do this, or I have a midlife crisis, now I'm old enough to say that, I thought, oh, I cannot pick myself up anymore. I'm tired of this. How many times can I be, you know, facing a difficulty or a challenge in my life? And those times, that story from my subconscious just catapults out and tells me, hey, eight-year-old can do it. A 40-year-old can just wink this through. Come on, you're not that bad, right? I think that is enough. And that kind of a treasure chest, we all need to have under lock and down inside us. And so reading helps. How we can do it? We can do it through a book clubs. There are so many book clubs. And I wish, you know, many, many book clubs uh, they they migrate from racy novels to fiction to all kinds of things with not having too much darkness into them, mm -hmm. especially, you know, when they are adolescents or college going kids involved, read some books that we can level your, you know, uh, intellect, they can excite you, sure, they can depress you, sure, no problem, but also have something that can neutralize you. That has to balance yourself. I like to think of my life like a pendulum. I think everybody's life is like a pendulum. One, one stop here when we are very happy, exactly opposite here when we are very unhappy. And I always want to be that person who's at rest at the neutral position. Neutral position is very boring. So we don't want to be there, but that's ultimately what we want secretly. Yeah. But we don't want to accept that. So my, my thought is, okay, when we are in both positions, let me also know how to be sad, 
properly like we also know how to be happy properly then i am able to land in the middle very gently not immediately and fall i think that's what it is you have to read a lot or you have to listen a lot there is no other way out of this you said it rightly the there should be a discretion for that education is what is really uh, required in order to make that that decision now you said it rightly there should be more of a reading material for children i'm sure there are materials available uh, you know oh, yes. uh, but it has not reached many i think you have explained some beautiful points today and uh, this is what we want we all want to um carry forward and instill in the young minds so that they would be happy people happy citizens happy responsible citizens of tomorrow and um, all this moral ethical and uh, you know all these values um, you said it rightly it it is all part of the upbringing it's been a it's a wonderful experience for me talking to you how important is uh, discipline times have changed the kind of lifestyle i when i grew up uh, during my younger days are completely different from what we see uh, with today's youth right they all work hard they are all very 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 intelligent but then the sense of discipline i think it it is rooted in spirituality uh, which is again a part of the upbringing How, what do you feel very beautiful isn't it um, i'm glad you mentioned that i was going to say the same word uh, before closing the session but you said it and i'm glad you said it spirituality actually says that there is maximum freedom in discipline and that has been misconstrued in a very negative manner currently the real discipline is what the children call or the kids call these days is fomo fear of missing out they don't have fomo about life they have fomo about all the things they're missing out in life i think is misdirected attachments currently that's what's going on uh if we are really missing out is what we are really missing out is attending to our ideas attending to our thoughts mm-hmm. uh, in a disciplined life i was also brought up in a very disciplined manner uh, our household my mother would wake up at 3:30 in the morning crack of the dawn and i would think why is my mother mad she is a mad woman why is she waking up at 3:30 in the morning and what is she doing when everybody is fast asleep mm-hmm. but you know she would do yoga she still does she does yoga then she does pranayama and then she is reading all scriptural texts then she is you know cooking and then she is getting us ready she is packing lunch and she was like a super woman completely and she had a regiment and she also had fun with us she would you know take us out she could she would take us here and there including my father the point i learned from this is that if everything is set in place then you realize that you have a lot of time that you cannot totally waste you get a lot of free time that you can utilize in a better purpose and to such an extent so as kids you know i have to say that my parents um they never allowed us to play with uh, when i was especially in my fourth grade or fifth grade i must say this quick uh, uh, anecdote that i would like to share with all all the listeners as well is that my parents especially my mother she was a very hard task master extremely hard task master uh, we used to wonder if we are we belonging to her in the first place especially me because everybody had brown eyes in the family i had green eyes my mother used to tell everybody or we switched babies in the hospital i would sit and pop my eyes out when all the guests are listening to the story 
but she when when we were in fourth grade i remember she took my sister and i who was in third grade to the post office in those days you could open a bank account in the post office right in, talking 1989 90 so she would take us and she took us one day and she said open account for these two and she would be the guardian of this account we had no clue about savings we had no clue about money we only knew that our parents go to work because they can buy us chocolates and ice creams and toys end of story that was the understanding at that point then she would intentionally leave you know 10 cents or quarters or some amount of money paisa and 50 paisa 25 paisa here and there and she would say if you find somewhere coins you can scavenge them and you know in those days chitta uh, ji used to have this gems now also you get gems oh, but yeah. gems yeah. used to come in a rocket red color white color rocket mm-hmm. multi color jumbo set mm-hmm. she bought two of us then of course we ate everything and she said you can use these two rockets to fill up and when your rocket is ready to launch we'll take it to the post office she made it a lot of fun so we would go put account and every mother's day i remember we would go and then we would bring money back for mother's day to buy flowers for her you know oh. she would say that for us then she left us to the bank one day she said go deposit this check and come and no clue you know my sister and i said oh, we have no clue excuse me I said well go figure it out go find out what to do talk to the manager there's a way to do that find out so like this she literally pushed us to the curb to get uncomfortable to be comfortable later in life uh-huh. at that moment of time it didn't feel very happy didn't feel very easy it felt i felt my mother was very difficult but then i realized she was prepping us for all the social skills that i required she would wake me up 4:30 in the morning and each one of us would take turns and go get milk from the harvesting booth that you had to give a quarter and get back a milk packet so i realized that there is maximum freedom in discipline actually speaking and how to do that time management i think that is one of the things that we are not able to actually manage when it comes to dealing with ourselves we don't want to have any time management but when it comes to let's say going for a movie or going for a party or going to the pub and having a drink or to the bar and having a dance we are very time managed we are ready one hour before the event we are ready to splurge right but time management is the key for maximum freedom in the, in the discipline that you have and discipline is very much necessary in life nobody with discipline has been unsuccessful if you read any autobiography or biography everybody has been only successful because of extreme discipline in their lives and that is something you cannot do away with you have to have that and so you know just to summarize and to uh, answer your question to the point yes we need discipline we also need a sprinkle of fun with discipline uh to the second point that you mentioned is is religion necessary should we have spirituality in our lives yes we do need to have spirituality in our life because no religion said that you can't have happiness in life or fun in life or enjoy life every spiritual text very categorically says is go have fun go do everything that you want to do in a righteous way and whenever you're doing that make sure you don't forget god that's all every religion says understanding that we can do whatever we want in the right limits with discipline is true spirituality with maximum freedom and what it teaches you at the end is that our culture or tradition or our religion reiterate this point in a very simplistic manner that ambition should not change 
our goals. However, we should set a very high goal. Low, low aim is a crime. Chitra Sai Baba used to say, low aim is a crime. Have a high aim. Aim for the stars, nothing less than the stars. And so every religion states or every spirituality connotates that. Your plans can change if you encounter difficulty, but your ambition should never change. I think that is the best thing that you can have from any religious or spiritual text. And what is wrong with following such a very simple philosophy? So I think it is necessary to be spiritual. It is necessary to have fun. And it is completely possible to be ambitious and still enjoy life. Beautiful. So very, very inspiring. I'm sure our viewers also will have a lot of positive takeaways. We now move to the second segment called Lighter Side of You. How would you define yourself in three words? Best, better, getting better. What would you have been if you had not taken your chosen path of profession? Chef, it's my dream to have a food truck and drive around the country and sell dosas and chai. What's your favorite holiday destination? Prashantinalayam, Puttaparthi, Andhra Pradesh. Favorite cuisine? Gulab Jamun. If there is something that you wish to change in this world, one thing that you wish to change in this world, what would that be? Myself. Beautiful. With that, we come to the end of our chat. I really had a very nice and lively chat um, with you, sharing such valuable inputs. And that is what really made this chat very, very uh, important for me. And um, I have had the opportunity to speak to so many people in my chat show. And I find this one of the most inspiring chats that I have ever come across. Thank you so much. Chitraji, I can't let you go just like that, though. I also have to ask you three questions. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. How would you describe yourself in five words? Ambitious, hardworking, positive attitude, helpful. What is one thing that you do that annoys everybody? I think time management. Time management. Okay. What is your favorite place to go when you are unhappy in your mind? Whichever I am, whichever place I am, I will start saying my prayers. I will go into meditation. Exactly. Beautiful. Thank you for playing the game with me at short notice. Sign Thank up. you so much. Namaskar. Have a good day ahead. Yeah. Yes. Bye.